My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. And as we are moving into the cooler time of the year, we are going to be talking about cool weather crop pests. So the cabbage, broccoli, other cool crops, uh, the stuff that my kid won't eat for the most part. (laughs) So um, collards, kale, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, mustard, turnips, other that and part of this you know we always talk about IPS and part of that is making sure that you are trying to grow these crops at the proper time of the year so now when it's cooler in the fall is the best time so these plants are going to grow best usually between 60 to 70 degrees and probably their upper limit of temperature is going to be 80 to 85 degrees so if you start them now, then plants can actually withstand temperatures usually down to about 25 degrees. And you can, of course, make frames and things like that to make sure that if you have any frost or freezes or something that you can protect your plants. So it's going to be important to make sure that you are making the plants, I guess, happy and healthy and growing them in good soil, making sure that they're getting proper watering, proper fertilization, so they can withstand any pests and diseases on their own. So that being said, we will move into the insect part of this. And probably the the biggest thing that you're going to get on your coal crops are caterpillars. Mm-hmm. And there are various caterpillars that you can get. And they go into the hidden nooks and crannies like on cabbage they get kind of down in i don't even know crown is that the called the crown of that or whatever i guess um so if they're that you can always look for caterpillar frass and the other hint would be do not think or mistake caterpillar frass for eggs because I know there are people that are just starting off their gardening experience and they can actually think that caterpillar frass is eggs and they are not. So if you're seeing frass, which I guess I should probably say, caterpillar frass is just a fancy word for caterpillar poop, Mm -hmm. for those of you that may not know that. Um, So they're going to be like little pellets and the color can change. It's usually like a darkish color of some sort, but it can change based upon the plant that they're feeding on. But all caterpillars are going to produce this kind of little pelletized frass thing that will land on the plant, usually below where they're eating because they're eating and digesting and pooping. And so they kind of just do their thing. But the first caterpillar that I'm going to talk about is called a diamondback moth. So a diamondback moth caterpillar. And these are going to be... Um, well, the caterpillar is the damaging stage, and these are tiny. They are only in their like full grown caterpillar size. They're anywhere from like a third to a half an inch in size. So they're very small compared to some of the other caterpillars that we're going to talk about. They are a pale yellowish green, and they have kind of a scattering of really fine black hairs over their body. The adults are a moth. And they are a mottled grayish color, about a third of an inch long. And that's with the, that's not wingspan. That's with the wings folded over their back. And the males here are where the name comes from, diamondback. The males have a row of three diamond-shaped yellings on the back. Hind wing of the moths also have a fringe. So it looks kind of fuzzy. But these are going to, in the caterpillar stage, if you disturb them, they will 
often drop off the plant and they hang from a silken thread and they like wiggle around really violently. So they're kind of thrashing around. And that can actually be a telltale sign that you're dealing with diamondback moth caterpillars. The pupil case is going to be on the underside of leaves. It's a kind of woven silken cocoon. Um, And, you know, at that point, there's really nothing that you can do anyway. They're done feeding and they're turning into a moth. I mean, if you squish them, you can. Um, because then that means that they can't become an adult and mate and lay more eggs. So when we're talking about caterpillars, they are all going to have chewing mouth parts. And so they are going to bite and chew and chew and feed on the foliage. So with diamondback moth caterpillars, since they're small, they don't a lot of times chew completely through the leaves. And so you kind of get that I don't know, like window pane or like lacy kind of appearance where it's not completely through the leaf, but you can kind of see through it. Still, it's tra- yeah, it still damages it because I think they're still getting yeah. plant cells, but it's not holes in the leaf. It's like, that's not skeletonization, but it's similar to it. There's like one layer of tissue that's still left. Yeah. So it, it's like a... Well, like a stained glass window without the pretty colors. There you go. (laughs) And this, you know, normally with insects, if they're chewing on foliage and you're not feeding on that foliage, I tell people not to worry about it. But since these are feeding on usually what you want to eat, so the mustard greens or the cabbage or the collards or whatever, then you know, it, it's you or them. And so you're going to have to make the decision on who gets to eat that particular food. So, you know, for me, in my case, I'm going to win because I'm growing that for me and not the bugs. So I generally would do something about them, but that is kind of up to whoever, I guess, whoever's growing it. Plus I've found that if it's something that grows in a head, or, or really anything, once it becomes established and those, if they're feeding on those outer leaves, those are generally pretty tough for us mm-hmm. and we're not going to consume them anyway. So I always like really focus on trying to manage the caterpillars on the plants when they're very, very young. But once they kind of get some bulk to them, then I feel like I can let the caterpillars have their part and mine will come out okay if I'm still watering it and fertilizing it and letting it be happy. Yeah, right. So if you're looking for diamond back moth caterpillars, you want to look at the underside of the leaves because that's usually where the caterpillars, well, that's where the eggs are laid. That's where they pupate. And that's typically where the caterpillars are going to be feeding. And there are a lot of times along the leaf veins. So it's kind of, you may need to look closely because again, it's a tiny caterpillar. And so you might mistake it for just kind of a blending in of the leaf vein, depending on where it is, right? And if it's hot uh, on like warm days, don't they kind of go into the mulch or down into the soil? Are they like, like you might see damage and you never ever treat it and you turn over leaves and you don't really see anything because they're also hiding from you. So yeah. cooler days, I feel like they are more noticeable or evenings if it's evenings or early morning, if it's a warmer fall day. Um, our next caterpillar is going to be the cabbage looper. And so we went from one of the smallest caterpillars that you're going to be dealing on coal crops to one of the largest caterpillars that you're going to be dealing with on the coal crops. And these in the largest stage of the caterpillar gets about an inch and a quarter to an inch and a half. And they're, I say they're kind of chonky. I mean, they're, yeah. and it's like they're, they're, well, if caterpillars had a butt, their butt would be chonky. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the the tail end actually is fatter on that end of the body than the head area. So they have a, a head that looks like almost like it's a like two lobes almost like mm-hmm. I don't know, like Princess Leia buns only on the front yeah. of the head. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Are they like that or is it an optical illusion because they have like a lighter stripe right kind of down the middle and it makes it look like that or is it truly like bubbled out? I don't know. I would have to now see now I need to find one. 
I don't know either, but in my mind, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, but now I'm like, why does it look like that? And I, of course, every picture online is not face forward. It's from the side. That's yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find them too. Yeah. So in comparison, that diamondback moth has a super tiny little head capsule, I feel compared to the cabbage looper too. Yeah. The cabbage looper, it's kind of the, the head is almost bulbous looking Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I think of like Megamind. <laughs> it's this giant brain sticking out. Only it's on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Definitely shinier and like a different texture than the body. Yeah. And these ones don't have the the real fine hairs. But again, you're, to see the hairs on the other one, you would probably, well, depending on your eyesight, you might be just fine. But for me, I'd probably need a hand lens or something out. But when they move, they also inch along, and that's the big telltale sign. Yeah, the the big well, and and then also with cabbage loopers, they rear up very similar to like a cobra, Mm -hmm. and like they're going to actually do something to you. How cute! (laughs) (laughs) They just have a bad attitude, but they're they don't have a good bite. (laughs) So these are going to be a, a greenish color. Mostly, and they have two pair of abdominal pro legs. So they do have three pair of true legs that are behind the head, but towards that chunkier tip of the abdomen, they have two pair of pro legs, which are essentially false legs that kind of help them move along. They do have little hooks on the end of those pro legs that they can use to kind of grip onto surfaces. So when they make that inching motion, they'll crawl out with their true legs and then they kind of scrunch up their body and kind of shuffle forward with their pro legs and then stretch out. And so that kind of gives them that looping motion that they do, I guess. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So these also pupate in a woven cocoon on the undersurface of the leaf. But again, they're going to be a lot bigger than the diamond-backed uh, caterpillar. Anything else on Cabbage Looper that I forgot? They, well, they, I, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but aren't these the ones also that they don't just go after coal crops? They're not like super host-specific to coal crops, but they'll feed on other things like you might find them on radishes or even... If they're out of control and you're usually they're starting there, they get out of control and then they might move to like tomatoes or something else. So yeah, loopers are that trichoplusia knee. I know that when we first started off, they talked about that a lot. Somebody was doing a lot of studies on trichoplusia knee. I don't know (laughs) if it was on cotton or sorghum or what, but I remember hearing that at science conference a lot. Do we know uh, how many generations per year these guys have? I did not, I, I, yeah, but I mean, they're only going to be, I mean, for this purpose, we're just talking about them over like the fall, winter, early spring, when we're in that cooler season, you may have some of these on crops, depending on what we're talking about, um, depending on what you're growing at other times of the year. All right. Um, imported cabbage worm. So this one is a little bit unique because the first two that we've talked about turn into moths and the imported cabbage worm turns into a butterfly, which is called the cabbage white. And you have probably seen it. Um, It's a pale yellowish, creamish, whitish color. A little bit of gray or black dots or markings yeah, on it. Yeah, there's that the spot and then there's also that um I don't know like that little rectangular tip thing on the front wing mm-hmm. towards the the front of it. So you've probably seen them flying. They're basically around. white sulfurs. Yeah, they're in the same I think they're mm-hmm. same group. Koreans. Yeah, purity. Yeah. yeah. So these imported cabbage worms are going to reach about an inch and they fuzzy which is the way that you kind of tell them the other two but again damage here is going to be the same type of damage chewing mouth parts they're going to 
to chew holes in the crop. And depending on the size, and this goes for the cabbage looper too, depending on the size of the caterpillar that you're dealing with, damage is really going to look different. So when you have the smaller stages, you're going to have that kind of stained glass or window pane effect. When we get into kind of the medium size, then they can eat through the foliage, but not the real tough parts of the plant. And then when they get into the larger size, we're talking about a cabbage looper that's getting ready to pupate. It's going to essentially eat whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that damage is going to change based upon the size of that caterpillar. Um, Imported cabbage worm. Another one that pupates on the host plant, so which is kind of unique to pupation in general, because they usually try to leave the host plant and like be protected. Yeah. So that's kind and of go down in the soil, and yeah, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little the little pupil casing looks interesting, almost like thorns or like it's a part yeah. Of the plant. I, well, I think they're kind of actually pretty, because it, it's like a the pupate the pupate. The pupil case, there we go, or chrysalis, since this is a butterfly that it turns into, it attaches to the host plant and it's kind of a pale green color, um, kind of oblong looking. It looks like a, and like if you're thinking of like swallowtail pupa, that's kind of what it looks like. The same shape. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. The swallowtails look like that. And if you didn't know better, it might look kind of like a green slug. Yeah. With wings. (laughs) Which would be super weird. (laughs) All right. So that one is really going to depend like on your feelings, how you feel about that caterpillar feeding on your cabbage and how much you want those butterflies to emerge the following year. Because some people, they love their butterflies and they want them and, you know. But again, depends on if you want. You can grow, I guess, if you don't like a particular coal crop, then you can grow that for these guys. I think that this one is so different because when you, I don't know, when I think of like a, a caterpillar that's damaging a food crop, it almost always turns into a moth that isn't. A fee- it doesn't feed. It has doesn't have functioning mouth parts, so it's not really pollinating. Like its purpose as an adult is not beneficial. And so as humans, we want to keep things around that are beneficial. The larvae is damaging to something. And so you don't feel so bad about killing it. But in this case, the adult actually is kind of attractive looking and it is a bit of a pollinator. So it's a, it's, yeah, you got to decide who you like, what you like the most, your food or your butterflies. Yeah. And you might just need to share. You might. Who knows? (laughs) The next one I think is a really pretty caterpillar, actually, as far as caterpillars go. So these are the cross-striped cabbage worms. Oh, yeah. And they are, the eggs are laid in like a really small mass and they're they're tiny. I mean, they're TT tiny, but they're going to be on the underside of the leaves, but they're laid in a mass of usually about well, up to 25 eggs. And then once the eggs hatch out, those caterpillars get to work on skeletonizing the plant. But the caterpillars get up to about three quarters of an inch before they pupate. And they have a bright yellow stripe that runs along the underside of their body. And then on top, they have a black and white stripe marking down their back. So I, I think they're beautiful. They're interesting. They're, I mean, the other ones are just kind of boring and camouflaged and green. And these are, yeah, these are like zebras. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. It's kind of zebra like. Yeah. Almost like a, well, I could see people calling these like a baby monarch or something mm-hmm. without the horns yeah. or yeah. tubercles, but they, they're kind of similar striping, but they're not. So don't confuse yourself. <laughs> But these ones are, I'm going to say normal caterpillars or what we would consider to be normal caterpillars because when they are pupating, they drop to the ground and pupate in the soil. And so you often do not see any of the pupa because they're not on the plant. They're actually burying themselves in the soil where they are protected and we don't really have to, well, we don't have to worry about them when they're pupating anyway because they're not feeding on the plant anymore. But another reason why you'd want to turn that soil over when you're 
converting from, yes. you know, winter to spring garden. So yep. you expose them to the elements. Very much so. Uh, the next one is an, another caterpillar that does not necessarily just attack coal crops. And those are the army worms. <laughs> and it seems like army worms eat anything. Everything. I mean, Turf. I know that that's probably not true, but, you know, they they can put some plants away. Mm-hmm. And they are called army worms because they often will emerge in large numbers and they kind of mow across whatever they're eating in large numbers. And if you discovered them, then it's usually too late for you to do something because they've pretty much done what they're doing and you don't have a whole lot of plants left. So this is one of those, it's really important to monitor your plants, to look for uh, immatures before they really get to those larger stages where they can be a problem. So Southern armyworms, beet armyworms are the two common ones, and they look very similar to one another. The Southern armyworm has a large, well, I'm I'm not going to say large (laughs) because maybe it's large for the caterpillar, but it's like tiny. (laughs) It's a black dot, and it is just behind the third pair of true legs. And the southern armyworm is typically a darker colored brown with a mm, orangish reddish head mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, I was, I, I was going to say, yeah, that like orange red, much more of a brown kind of color. I don't know. The contrast between the two to me is we, we go from like that green yellow. A burnt sienna. Oh, look at that. If you know your crayons. Okay. <laughs> It kind of, I don't know, the picture I'm looking at reminds me of like the little, um, this is totally not really related, but like the Nasuda, the, the termites that have that mm-hmm. um, teardrop kind of head shape. It's like bulb. Oh, yeah. The weird forehead. Yeah. Oh, like the, the horn thingy? The Nasuda form? Yeah, like the, and I'm, the photo I'm looking at is kind of backed out. So it's not really, it could just be a trick of the picture. They, well, they kind of have that, just like you were describing on the cabbage looper, they kind of have that, like, it's almost like they have goggles for eyes or something. They just have a really bulbous head, a rounded face. But with army worms, like I mentioned, they they tend to be, I say sporadic, because it's not that you always have army worms. Like, if I were growing coal crops, I would expect to see cabbage loopers pretty much every year. Army worms, it seems like they they show up, they eat everything, and then you don't for a couple years, which I it's like, where do they come from? I don't know. They've got to be there somewhere. <laughs> but where did they go? Where did they come from? Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I, I thought I was muted, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on army worms? I'd read that armyworms, they don't tolerate cold very well. So if you have like a good, good cold, cold winter, then you tend not to see them in the springtime, I guess, coming back out again. But I feel like that needs to be checked at, checked again, because remember when we had the big, big freeze in 2021, there was a, there was an, everything was a problem in 2020, right? But then there was another problem that same year, even though it froze way, way down. So maybe it's the time that the freeze happens. Maybe it needs Mm -hmm. to be like not in February, but in December or January, but, but Anyway, I'd read that, that they don't tolerate cold. So if you have a good freeze, then they, at least in turf, they're not a problem. But um, 2021 did not prove that to be correct. 2021 was just one of those years. It was crazy. I think I'm confusing army worms for another, but I thought, what, what is the worm that has like the inverted Y? That's, army that's an army worm, but that's a fall army worm. Army worm too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. That's it's just army worms is like the general category, but then you have beet army worm, you have the southern army, and the fall army worm. The other army worms are much more like crop pests, but I think in the fall army worm, it's like it doesn't care. It's alfalfa, it's hay, it's grass in your lawn, it's your vegetable garden when they just march over it. 
way more of a generalist. Yeah. Yes. And their numbers are like gigantic, can be very, very big. Yeah. All right. I think the last caterpillar that I have to talk about is the cabbage webworm. And these are another relatively small one, not as small as our diamondback moth caterpillar, but these are going to get to be about half an inch before they pupate. And these ones are a mm, creamy whitish color with shades of striping, light brown, brown kind of traveling longitudinally or lengthwise down their body and with that much darker yeah. head capsule right yeah. <clears throat> and they are going to uh, this is going to blow everyone's mind they're going to create webs <laughs> that's why they're called a webworm do they make the web feed in the web? Because I'm not sure I've ever seen these on cold crops. I don't think that they make the, I don't think that they feed on the web. I think that they they create the webs to protect themselves from predators. And they're usually you usually find these on new growth of the plant. So they're not gonna be on that like outer tougher stuff. And okay. they can also cause severe damage to like new stuff like the buds or the areas where it's just starting to grow and flush out. That's where they really like to hit. So that can be problematic and it can cause um, the plant to grow weird. Like if they damage something as it's just coming out or just starting to grow then those cells are no longer there. And so that can cause the plant to grow in like a funky shape then because it's kind of forcing it to um, put off new growth to accommodate the damaged part. And that's all I got on that one. Anybody want to add anything? No. I mean, I think you you said it, right? A caterpillar is a caterpillar, a caterpillar. It doesn't really matter exactly who yeah. they are they're all caterpillars they're all going to chew on your plants and essentially for control on these um you can hand pick if you want none of these are stinging caterpillars so you don't have to worry about that um so hand picking is an option if you do hand pick you can either put them into rubbing alcohol or soapy water or step on them Ugh, gross <laughs> Brian, but but they wouldn't be crunchy, Brian. Right. You you don't like the crunchy sound, right? I don't like the crunchy sound, but yeah, I think. I mean, these yeah. are more like squishy, but they'd still pop. They're like little bags of pus. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so hand picking is an option. You can also use a handheld vacuum to remove them, depending on the plant that you have, and I guess numbers. I mean, that's a good way to reduce them quickly especially if you're squeamish about touching bugs, which some people are. And then if you want to go the pesticide route, I would recommend using uh, BT, which is Bacillus thuringiensis. And the variety that works on caterpillars is Kerstocki. You do have to get good coverage of that product on the plant as the caterpillars have to ingest it. For it to work because it'll go into their digestive tract and damage that and cause them to stop feeding and eventually die. And if you don't want to use that, my other one and the next one that I would probably try is uh, spinosad, which is another naturally derived product, but it is a selectively active product and it will work well on things that have men and are chewing on foliage. Guess on the smaller stages you could do insecticidal soap if you catch them when they're small. Yeah, you probably could if you. But my feeling about that is, if you can see them, you could squish them with your hands too. Yeah, that's true. We did a we did a trial, a little demonstration on. We said it was cabbage loopers, and there were definitely cabbage loopers, but it was just any of these caterpillars on cabbages. Uh, and we had, I don't know, 250 something cabbages when it was all said and done. Of course you harvested them like right before Christmas. So I tried to put bows on them and give them away at the office and no one was that thankful. Uh, it was a lot harder to get rid of <laughs> that many cabbages than I thought. 
but it's Christmas cabbage. <laughs> For some reason, we chose to do cabbages and not like broccoli or cauliflower or something else. But we found, we tested, we evaluated nothing, right? Those were our controls. Uh, we did BT by itself. We did spinosad by itself. We did carbaryl, which if you read the label says it will not work against loopers and it doesn't. And then we did, I think then we did a, we did a combo of like BT one week and then the next, and then two weeks later, spinosad. So we alternated. So that would be a little bit cheaper option. And then one of them, we added molasses to it because that was kind of all the rays, rave for things. And what we, the molasses really kind of burned it. Um, but the end result was that uh, BT and spinosad produced the same yield of cabbage. Actually, our control plots did as well. They just weren't as pretty. So if you're planting them the proper distance apart, you are watering them like you should, you fertilize them when you should, and you're just allowing them to outgrow the damage, then they oftentimes will will not be as pretty, but they're still going to be an edible plant that is not statistically weight-wise any different than if you treated. But BT took a while. In the end, BT looked great and the plants looked wonderful, but you got to remember it has to be eaten. So they, they're going to make, take a hole out of the plant. So you, you are going to still see holes until they die off. But in the end, BT versus spinosad versus a combo, it was the same overall result. So either one works really nice. But what I would suggest is that the second you see that first hole, that's when you treat. And then you, two weeks later, probably do a second treatment. Two weeks later, I'd probably do a third. And then by that time, your plant should be large enough that you can back off and you can stop applying pesticides. We treated every two weeks. We did find that um, spinosad would knock down our beneficials, but then by the next week, we checked them every week. So treat on this day, next Friday, we, you know, um, checked them for signs of damage and counted the loopers and our, you know, our ladybugs had, had rebounded. So um, it'll knock them down a bit, but they'll always kind of come back. So we, um, that was pretty fun, pretty fun project, but we found that BT and spinosad work just work really, really good. You get huge, big cabbages that you can't find homes for. All right. So that, that is great information. Oh, the, the other thing I should mention too, is that one of our control plots was, so this was, we did this at the children's garden at the botanical gardens and they just had extra beds. And so we were able to have enough to do, you know, our, uh, our replications, one of our beds just happened to be right next to where the kids were, where they have all their different plants. And they had been told, you hand pick off these caterpillars if you see them on your plants. And so it was a control plot that was right next to them. And so they turned around with their little great eyes and their little tiny fingers. And they were they thought they were helping us up by hand picking things off. And it really skewed our data quite a bit. So hand picking can be very effective, even if you only do it once a week. That's fantastic. God, I bet those kids were so excited. We were like, dead gummit. <laughs> but they were doing what they'd been taught to do. So it was hard to be mad at them. <laughs> so I have a quick question. Uh, we talk about insecticidal soaps. And I just I just learned something. <laughs> learned that. Um, so I used to always say, oh, you can like mix soap and, and spray down your plants. But it actually needs to be horticultural soap right because some of those detergents yeah. are going to affect especially the leaves if you put I, I guess those on the plant which in this case that's kind of what you're harvesting right um yeah like a P PSA because I I completely was wrong <laughs> yeah they have most soaps have herbicidal properties so you can I always tell people you can try it and make your mm -hmm. own watered down soap but uh, don't blame me. Don't go blaming yeah. me when you're, I always, you know, I'm like, yes, you can, you can make your own insecticidal soap, but we recommend that you use the pesticidal version of insecticidal soap because it has been, it has been tested against, you know, the plants and the insects. And we know that this works and, you know, I don't know what, or what soap or what, I don't know. And I don't know what it's going to do to your plants. And so, you know, that's kind of, your decision if you want to do it, but that's not what I would recommend you doing. And it's not what I would do myself. And this is different from um, the application. So right now we're talking about the application to the plant. This is different from if you're going and and uh, with a with a bowl of soapy Correct. water, you know, to Correct. knock them down. Right. So 
that's fine. But yeah, what we're talking about is the application to the planet itself. All right. So moving in to the insects that have piercing sucking mouth parts now, our first one is going to be probably, you know, one of the most common garden pests and everybody's probably very familiar with them. And those are the aphids. Mm -hmm. So aphids, there are cabbage aphids, there's turnip aphids. They have piercing sucking mouth, tiny, they're teardrop shaped, um, usually don't have wings, but some of them will. And these are capable of exuding honeydew, which is a excrement, their waste product. And that can then lead to sooty mold, which is a fungus that grows on honeydew. So if you're seeing kind of a black fungus on your coal crops, then you might want to look closer for aphids. A lot of times aphid infestations are going to be on the undersurface of the leaves or kind of along the stems of the plants, but you may need to monitor a little bit closely on them because they are much smaller than the caterpillars are, especially in the uh, immature nymphal stages. And again, you know, there are multiple species, so they do come in different colors, but they're all going to be that teardrop shape, long antennae, and they do have what are called cornicles that come off of the tip of their abdomen. They look like little tailpipes almost. Um, And, you know, aphid and probably the next one, whitefly control, they are both small, soft-bodied insects. They both are honeydew producers. And would just say high pressure water spray on those (laughs) i mean yeah it's gonna knock them off the plant and damage the exotin make them more available to predators and parasites and things like that plus these you know coal crops are pretty hardy plants so i feel like they can tolerate those aphids they can tolerate that sharper blast of water without damaging the leaves yeah because they're a hardier plant Mm -hmm. uh white flies There is uh, probably the most common is the silver leaf white fly, which is also called the sweet potato white fly. Same bug, two different names. And this is the one that typically gets on coal crops. These in the immature stage are a small yellowish oval wingless insect. And then the adults are going to be small yellowish but they have white wings that cover their body kind of in a triangle shape when they're at rest and so the adults are capable of flying the immatures are not and these are going to typically be found on the under surface of the leaves and a lot of times unless you're looking on the under surface of the leaf you're not ever going to see them because they that's pretty much where they hang out. So unless you brush against the plant, then you aren't really going to see them. But if you do disturb the plant, then the adult white flies will kind of come out and fly around and then they kind of go back to the undersurface of the leaf. Um, but again, that like I said, they're very similar to aphids and damage. They can cause the honeydew excrement, which leads to sooty mold. Um, oh, and then the for aphids and white flies, they can cause yellowing, curling of the leaves, stunted growth of the plants. Uh, and that's you have a larger population on them, but hopefully you would be monitoring your plants and it wouldn't get that damaging. I mean, I guess we've noticed a trend. Those nooks and crannies getting down and inspecting really is key. Yes. And depending on your eyesight, you might want to take a hand lens with you. (laughs) It's a good thing to have one. Um, Harlequin bugs is my next one. These are a type of stink bug, but they have a... Well, reddish to orangish and black pattern on their back, which is where they get their name Harlequin bugs. So they kind of look like that. I don't know, like Harlequin or Jester or whatnot. Is that what they're called? A Harlequin? Well, yeah, I I always say any DC fans like Harley Quinn and and the Joker, right? So very 
Oh, hey, yeah, there you yeah, go. Very I never knew that. But that makes sense. They're really, really pretty <laughs> for like a. They are pretty for a stink yeah. bug. Yeah, very much. They really are. And in my experience, these typically show up large numbers when you have not gotten rid of your plants that are old and on their way out. So think about springtime, we're moving into warmer temperatures and you're hoping to get that like last bit of stuff from your plants. That's typically the plants that the harlequin bugs get on. And so my advice to manage them is just to get rid of your plants that are on their way out anyway. Or I, people will get them on like, like oddball plants that are, I guess, some sort of a cold crop. Like at the, at our children's garden, they planted some weird kale-esque type thing, but it, it, they were pushing them into the springtime pretty late. And I was, and they had harlequin bugs all over them. I'm like, well, I don't think that they're happy here. And that's probably why they're coming in. So if you've got harlequin bugs on something you're, you're experimenting with, it probably shouldn't be grown where you are. Yeah. The damage is definitely you well i don't know if it's unique but different from what we've covered right so that kind of i don't even know how to explain it it's like a dry it's almost like dry patches to me um it looks like what i would call like when you get the electric (laughs) do y'all know what i'm saying like the electrocution no i'm like super curious as to where you're going with this (laughs) i know I, I don't know what the word, it's not scale. Like I know we mentioned skeletonizing to me, it's not skeletonizing, but maybe that is what it's called. Um, They're damaged. Like patchy. Yeah. Like the patchiness of like the feeding where they've been feeding on the leaf. Oh, like the, um, the stippling kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? That's the word I think. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it almost looks like this kind of damage always to me kind of looks like it's physical like maybe there was hail or wind damage or something but you it, when you google pictures of harlequin bug damage you always see it next to holes in the plant so there's a lot going on with these plants by the time harlequin bugs yes. get into them like they're mm-hmm. just not happy hence the just get rid of the plants and you know wait until next year for coal crops again because <laughs> they're just yes yeah, that's like the, you know, throw in the towel kind of thing at that point. They're at the end of their life. Know when it's time for your plant to die. I love that. I need a shirt that says that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we do. Um, they're harlequin bugs. From what I've always seen, I don't know if there are a bunch of colors or if it's just that one species, but I, it's like it's like the Halloween themed stink bug, just orange, black, really neat coloration. Um, yeah as adults the egg uh clusters though are also super cool oh really Um, pretty yeah that kind of yeah uh laden clusters they're little like barrels that are alternating black and uh white so they don't they're not like they're those are the striped ones right they're adorable aren't they yeah yeah cute it it doesn't it looks like candy um, They're so pretty. Little like eyeballs from the top or something. So our recommendation there, get rid of your plant. Know, know when your plant is ready to die. Yeah. It's a cleanup crew. Okay. So the last one I have are flea beetles. <laughs> and this is another one that is a chewing pest. And these are going oh, yeah. to have mandibles in both the immature and the adult stage, so chewing pest in the both one. And the flea beetles are going to have enlarged hind legs like a flea, which is where they get their name, um, that will allow them to jump. So if you disturb these, they're going to kind of jump away from whatever you're doing. But there are multiple flea beetles, um, striped flea beetles. There's one, the, the cruciferer flea beetle. Um, so it really, it depends on which one you have. Obviously the striped flea beetle is striped. (laughs) And there, a lot of them are metallic, right? Like, like really pretty, uh, like chromatic color on them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And this is another one. It just, 
you know, I typically don't do anything about flea beetles because they're tiny and they just kind of, I mean, yes, they chew little tiny holes. It almost looks like they're damaged. In my opinion, it looks like somebody took a shotgun and shot your garden Mm -hmm. and there's all these little tiny shotgun pellet holes in your plants now. Or if your plant is, if the leaf is too thick, it's like, it's those size holes, but that um, window pane effect. Which can be kind of pretty, actually. (laughs) And I find that like the plant generally outgrows their damage. Like they'll come in and they leave. But if you're, they don't stay. And I've never had like really massive populations of them that it's ever been a problem, which is why I usually don't do anything about them. I'm just like, eh. It's all right. You know, you can, you can have some. Uh, not on cold crops, but I have heard people say that they are a huge problem on eggplants. But I've also, my understanding also is that it generally has something to do with the timing of when you uh, put your eggplants in the ground. Like you missed, you went too soon or too, usually I think it's, I think it's too late. You went a little bit too late. So the suggestion is, well, next time, you know, what do you do this time? Not much, but next time you plant a little sooner. So it outgrows the damage just like it normally does. But I guess eggplants are particularly susceptible. I've never grown eggplants. So I don't know. Are they grown the same times that coal, the same time coal crops are? I do mine in the summer. I think those are nightshades. Mm -hmm. So they're grown like with tomatoes and peppers. Down here in Texas, right? You're if you've got a late cold crop season, that's kind of going off into that late February, early March, but it's going to die by, you know, the end of May, um, that kind of crossover mm-hmm. time, whenever you're putting your nightshades in the ground and maybe your temperatures are not over 75 at night or whatever, um, you know, February to March, I would say. Sorry, when you said you're putting your nightshades in the ground, it just like, I pictured this like witch's cottage. (laughs) (laughs) Nice thing. Still in the Halloween spirit. We talked about flea beetles as adults. Are there larvae also, I guess, are they overlapping on the plants? Adults and larvae causing damage? That's a good question. I've never thought about the larvae. They should be on the plant at the same time, but I have never seen them. And I mean, if you think about the size of a flea beetle, those larvae are going to be tiny. Yeah. These, yeah, these beetles are probably like the, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, like smaller than a nerd, right? Like they're pretty. That's a very good comparison. (laughs) And when we (laughs) don't mean a person, we mean the candy. Yeah, I've never thought of them as a larval pest. I've always thought of them as an adult pest, but obviously they have larvae, so they must do a little damage themselves. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're like a root feeder at all or if they're actually on the plant eating. Oh, I'm going to go into a side tangent. If we talk about anything else, I'll let you know if I find it. I'm sure we could Google it and find out. Yeah. So as far as management, we've kind of talked about things as we're going along. Um, It's always going to be helpful to manage any weeds because these insects can move from weeds into your crops. So make sure that you're doing that. Turning over soil before you plant your garden to expose anything that might be in the soil. You want to Make sure that you are to rip out those cruciferous crops when you get harlequin bugs. You know, you want to you know, get those either off site or get them into the compost bin to start breaking those down. So those insects aren't going to be emerging out of there and moving into other areas. As far as removing them physically from the plant, so mechanical management, you can hand pick any caterpillars or use a vacuum if you want. Make sure that you're monitoring so you're getting them when they are in smaller numbers. And then the other option you can, which I I don't do this. Maybe somebody does this. I'm sure lots of people do this. But uh, doing an exclusion, so frames around your garden beds so you can uh, exclude or keep those insects. So covering that up with a something to prevent the insects from reaching the plants and laying eggs on them. As always, anytime that we're about the landscape or garden, you want to conserve any beneficial insects that you have that can help them uh, manage those insect pests. So that will 
play into if you're using an IPM strategy. So in choosing those uh, low impact or less toxic pesticides, if you decide to treat with those. And then when you do choose those pesticides, try to use a targeted pesticide that is going to only kill the pests and not knock down those beneficials. And then also target the plants that you're having problems with. You don't have to treat everything if you're only having problems on, you know, one plant or a single type of plant in your garden. I found out, so flea beetles... Typically, they're uh, they're not causing a bunch of damage. They're down in the soil. They will feed on stems and roots, uh, with the exception of a couple of species that feed on like tubers or uh, potatoes, and they'll mess okay. up the potatoes. Um, but yeah, so it's so it is mainly yeah. an adult pest. Cool, I like it. Well, it could be a immature pest. It's just you're not seeing it. Yeah, you're you're not seeing the damage that it's yeah. doing. <laughs> I didn't realize how like gregarious they can be. I'm looking at a bunch of pictures of infestations because um, when I've collected them, it's always just been like a one and done thing. But I'll, I'll add some of these photos to our um, show notes. All right. So that is it. Episode. We hope that we've given you some ideas on how to manage insects on your brassica crops. So good luck with your winter or cool season garden, and we will catch you next time. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcast, Unwanted Guests. Brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.